Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, November 24th, we're studying Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. St. Paul instructs Titus how Christians are to live toward those in authority and toward those in the world. It is a reality that finds its foundation in the salvation that God gives to us purely by his grace poured out upon us in the water and word of holy baptism. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Uh, thank you. It's good to be here again. So we get started this morning, Pastor Dandy, give us some context. We've come through the first two chapters of the book of Titus. What do we need to pick up from there? What do we need to know about the book as a whole that will help us into these verses from chapter three today? Yeah, so uh, uh, Paul is closing out his letter to Pastor Titus. Um, uh, Paul uh, uh, left Titus on Crete to care for the Cretans, to be their shepherd. Uh, and from the context of the letter, we see that um uh, in chapter one, uh, Paul uh, uh, believes in the old saying that the Cretans were considered to be a lazy, gluttonous, scandalous people. Um, and so here Titus has his uh, work cut out for him. Um, uh, and this letter um, uh, uh, is left for Pastor Titus to deal with these issues, uh, to deal with um uh, the theological issues going on uh, with the congregation there to deal with the um, uh, moral issues uh, and, and really just to deal with what it means to uh, have this Christian life, to live as a Christian, right? Uh, uh, what does it mean to submit to your pastor? What does it mean to live in a family? Uh, what does it mean to live in society? Uh, and so Paul's encouraging Titus to live out his calling as a pastor uh, to exhort the people uh, to a life that represents the manner of their salvation. Uh, and so chapter two, we see Paul kind of listing out uh, a sound pattern of Christian life uh, within uh, the home, uh, uh, old men and young women, uh, women, young men and old men, uh, young yeah, young men and old men, uh, young women and older women, children and parents, husbands and wives, how that all kind of fits together and how they're supposed to behave. And he roots that sound pattern of life in the gospel of Jesus. And then he tells Titus to declare this stuff to the people, to rebuke the people, to um, uh, instruct them in the faith. Um, and so we see as a very last verse... Uh, uh, of chapter two, we, we see Titus saying, declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. And so now he's going to carry this on as we come into chapter three, um, as he starts talking about how this sound pattern behavior looks uh, as we step outside of the church, outside of the home. Uh, and into the community of the world, right? Uh, as we step out, what does it mean now to be a good citizen? What does it mean to uh, live as a Christian in our public life as well? And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. All right. We are in Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. That is our text today, Titus 3, verses 1 through 8. Pastor Danny, as you were saying, the text begins with more instruction for the Christian. Now, as the Christian goes out into the world, how is the Christian to be? And you get these series here, remind them to be various things. Take us into this list that Paul gives. Yeah, and so we have these these this long kind of list of things that um, uh, the Christians should be or do um, in their in their public life, and, and one of the things I'm just just reading it now, I was thinking about is that he says, "Remind them," hmm. right? Uh, meaning that uh, these things have been taught to them uh, before; these things have been demonstrated to them uh, that this is what the Christian is called to. Um, uh, the Christian is called to um, be submissive, right? Uh, to be peaceable, to be obedient, right? Uh, and so here, as we, we look at all of this, um, these statements all revolve around what goes into having a tranquil and peaceable public life. Um, uh, so uh, it, it's almost as if Paul uh, starts at the top of the public life and works his way down. And so the first thing Paul encourages is submission to rulers and authorities, right? And, and so we can, we can talk about a lot of what that looks like in the scriptures. Uh, what does it mean to submit to those in authority? First, uh, we, we think about Romans 13, uh, where Paul in, in Romans frames why be subject to governing authorities. Well, because they've been given their authority from God, uh, and God has put these authorities over us uh, to curb sinful outbursts of terrible sin. Uh, it says that uh, they have been put in place for judgment, to be a terror uh, to evil uh, and a joy to good, to reward good behavior, to punish bad behavior. And so uh, we have this, this order in which God establishes ruling authorities and so that there can be good order and discipline, uh, evil behavior can be curbed, um, uh, uh, all in accordance to the will of God. And so he says then that we should be subject to them, that we should owe them reverence. We should um, uh, offer our taxes when taxes are owed. Uh, we should uh, pay to them all that is owed when revenue is owed, respect is owed, honor is owed. All of these things are, are good and, and uh, honoring to God, right? Uh, and so we honor those in authority over us for the sake of the God who loves us um, and honor to the God who has saved us. Uh, and then, uh, of course, we have 1 Timothy 2, uh, where we are called to pray for those in authority over us. Um, uh, as we are, yeah, 1 Timothy 2, whereas we're called to pray for those in authority over us. Uh, uh, so that we might live peaceable lives, godly and dignified in every way. And so we see that when the Christian is set under the authorities, um, those governing and ruling authorities, um, we are to act in love towards them. Uh, and of course, we have in Mark chapter 12, Jesus giving us that exhortation, render unto Caesar those things which do belong to Caesar. And there are things that do belong to Caesar, our taxes, our obedience, our submission. Um, and of course, we render unto God those things that are God's, and we never render unto Caesar what truly belongs to God. We always need to be clear about that, but um, I think there is this uh, uh, beautiful image then of uh, submission to authorities that we can that we can think about in terms of vocational love. Um, uh, the word that we have for submission or to be subject in the Greek is is hypotasso. Um, and uh, that means to submit, to be subject, uh, and, and when you think about that in the broad context of the New Testament, well, we're subjected to the will of God. 
Uh, we see uh, in Luke chapter 10, all creation, evil, evil things are subjected to the power and the will of Christ. Um, that uh, the 72 disciples come back and say, Jesus, uh, even the demons uh, had to uh, be subjected to the power of your name. Right. Uh, and so uh, um, all creation is, of course, subjected to the will of God. Uh, and God is certainly on top. But then we have other images of vocational love that take place. Uh, for example, wives, um, not so much being subjected, but being submissive to their husbands out of reverence for Christ, out of love for God, out of love for their husband. What do they do? They submit. And this is how God says uh, wives are to honor and love their husbands. Children are to be submissive to their parents. Uh, they are to submit to their authority over them. And, and what is this? This is how God expects us to love our parents as, uh, uh, as they rule over us, as they care for us, as they provide for us. Uh, same thing with husbands and wives. Husbands are to uh, uh, love their wives, to care for their bodies, to speak the gospel to them, uh, to comfort them in the word of God uh, in the same way that Christ does so to his church as he gives himself over for the good of the church. Uh, and so uh, we as Christians submit to Christ our head. Wives submit to husbands, the head of the family. Children submit to their heads the parents, and this is a loving Christian attitude. And then, of course, God applies that to the public life, uh, where we submit to those whom God has placed over us in authority, um, not so much out of coercion. Um, you know, I don't want to get in trouble for not uh, honoring those in authority over me. I don't want to get a ticket for speeding uh, or uh, get in trouble for not paying my taxes, so I better do it. But we do it out of love, right? Um, uh, we do this out of uh, our vocational love towards our neighbor. Uh, and, and that is a blessed and good thing, as, as Paul says. Okay, be subject to those in authority over you, because this is the loving Christian thing to do. Um, and so that's, that's a, a great way I think we can frame that, uh, is that the law is made for love, and we submit to those in authority over us out of our vocational love in that third estate. All right, we're seeing the theme of order come up here again in the book of Titus. We've seen it in the first two chapters, and it's here as well. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday, that when God places us under authority, this is his gift. He, he does so that he might give service to us, as you said, through, through the various vocations that he places. And so to be under authority, to be in this order that God gives is not a bad thing, but it is a good thing. And so Christians, as you said, willingly submit to that order. It's it's not just a matter of coercion. I think Paul does does talk that way in, in Romans 13 that, you know, certainly you don't want to be punished, but even more than that, this is a matter of, of desiring to live in the order that God freely gives. Now, as the list continues, Pastor Dandy, it, it seems like, is, is Paul broadening it a bit? It starts with this matter of being subject to rulers and authorities, and then it sounds like he's broadening it beyond that sphere to a, a greater application to public life. Yeah, yeah, and, and so, uh, like I said a minute ago, I think it kind of starts at the top. Okay, be subject to those ruling authorities, be obedient, but then it starts to kind of uh, spread out to um, basically the Christian's interactions with the with the world, right? Uh, so it says, uh, be ready for every good work, speak evil of no one, to avoid uh, avoid quarreling, be gentle, uh, show perfect courtesy to all people. Here we see that it it's kind of like at the top of this triangle of, of our public interaction. We, of course, have those governing authorities set over us, but then it spreads out um, uh, to those people that we interact in the public life, um, uh, to how the church and the Christian represents himself in the public world. And I, I think that this, this just kind of spreads out to how um, we maybe interact with the on our, our non-Christian or secular world. And so, um, and, and we see that this ends up being made to contrast with how the non-Christian or secular world would behave 
naturally. And we'll get to that uh, in a minute, but I kind of want to just zoom in on a few of these little topics uh, and uh, a few of these things that Paul is exhorting Titus to preach to the congregation, right? Uh, And so uh, Paul uh, uh, beckons and calls uh, the church to be submissive to those in authority, uh, but then he also calls them to be obedient and ready for every good work, right? Uh, and this is this is very much a stark contrast to the pagans, um, the Cretans, really, um, that Paul describes in chapter one. Right at the end of chapter one, Paul starts talking about uh, what the Cretans are known for, and what are they? They're they're known for lying, um, uh, being evil, being lazy gluttons, right? Um, uh, and so we we see that often the the world is out for shameful gain. Uh, um, for what those things they ought not to do and ought not to teach and ought not to adhere to. And I think uh, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, um, this, this kind of uh, broad stroke caricature of the Cretans um, probably applies to um, uh, how the world might perceive public life in general. Um, where it's, it's this, this life that is maybe uh, filled with, uh, corruption of thought and deed, um, uh, that there, there is no, uh, idea of submission, self-sacrifice for neighbor, but it's, it's, what can I do to personally, uh, advance my agenda, personally put forth my own gain, uh, personally, um, gain what I want. And we certainly see this in the pagan world, in the Bible. Uh, you know, we, we see Paul deal with this directly, uh, in the book of Acts where, uh, Felix detains Paul for years in hopes of receiving a bribe, or bribe. Um, and we can see how the Roman tax collectors were viewed and how tax collection actually happened in the ancient Roman world, where uh, as long as the Romans got their cut, the tax collectors could take whatever they wanted, right? They could set the price, and that's how they kind of made their living. Uh, and so obedience and readiness for good works uh, would set the Christians at quite the contrast um, to the rest of the world, um, being ready to obey, um, not seeking personal gain, but uh, o- obeying those in authority over us for the sake of those in authority of us, right? Uh, it's the same reason that we, we pray for those in authority of us uh, over us in church on Sunday, um, uh, yes, we do it that we might have peaceable lives. Yes, we do it for the health of the church, but we also do it out of love for our neighbor, um, out of love for those whom God has appointed over us. We, we pray for them. We, we pray for their health. We pay for, pray for their well-being. We pray that God would um, bless them. We pray that God would call them to faith and repentance. And, and that's, that's the loving thing to do. Right. That's that's our vocation uh, under the will of God. And so uh, we see this this vocational love lived out for those in authority, but then also that vocational love lived out for the good of our neighbor, being ready to obey, being uh, one who desires good works um, uh, um, out of the honor and reverence of our Lord Christ um, is a is a purely good and Christian thing. Uh, it is vocational love lived out for those in authority. It's vocational love lived out for those who are our neighbors. Uh, and, and that's a blessing. Uh, and then, if we want to comment on that a little bit, and then we can move on. Well, no, I was just going to, I was going to keep moving us on then, because the, as you said, this matter of contrast between what Paul is giving to the Christian church here and the way that he described the Cretans earlier in the way of the world, there is such a huge contrast. And and I think as I, as I think about our world today, the way he starts verse two, to speak evil of no one, that would be a place where Christians today could certainly offer some contrast to the way of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that word, uh, speak evil in the Greek, it's, it's, uh, uh, blasphemino, uh, you know, uh, blaspheme, right? Uh, and so we, he, he really, he uses that stark word now that we only use in terms of maybe religious terms. We don't want to blaspheme the name of God, right? But what Paul says here, he says, blaspheme no one, 
um, uh, you know, speak evil of no one. Do not uh, uh, add evil to the name of our neighbor, right? And so as we think about that, we can very quickly apply that to um, our public and political discourse in the world today, where um, uh, very quickly uh, the the first instinct that people tend to have now uh, in interacting uh, with uh, opposing viewpoints are those people who are on the other side of an issue is to demonize them immediately. Um, uh, 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 seize the opportunity to speak as much evil about our opponent as possible. Uh, and, and what that does is that advances our personal cause. What that does is that uh, makes us look like we're on the side of the angels and they're on the side of the bad guys and um, uh, uh, we're right and they're wrong. And just look at what uh, their ideas produce, this wickedness of character, this wickedness of thought. And, and what Paul says is, wait, hold on here. Um, uh, uh, speak evil of no one, right? Uh, and, and when you think about that, that might have been a big temptation for the early Christians um, to denounce the corruption and the evil around them uh, by uh, 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 demonizing people in authority, right? Um, by demonizing their neighbor, Um uh, it would have been a temptation for them to, to uh, uh, fall into sinful language, um, crass language, um, uh, when it start when, when it comes to talking about those whom we disagree with or those who um, uh, subvert the cause of the gospel. Um, when really the thing that we as Christians should always be using to argue um, our point. Uh, is, is the word of God itself because God himself has already spoken his, his, his word of judgment against the, the fallenness of creation. God himself already has declared what is good and evil. And so, um, uh, we don't really necessarily need to demonize our opponents. We just need to say, thus says the Lord over this issue and leave it, uh, because God has spoken it and God will call, um, uh, those, uh, whom he has chosen to repentance. And so, um, uh, uh, he calls Titus to, uh, um, shepherd the congregation, uh, to deal with, um, uh, those people on the other side, not so much by blaspheming their name. Uh, by uh, speaking God's word in faithfulness. Uh, and I think that's that's really what we're called to do as the people of God. Uh, uh, instead, there to be, uh, and then he moves on to that. He moves on from blaspheming uh, our neighbor to um, uh, maybe uh, uh, being non-fighters, to not be quarrelsome, Right. Uh, so Paul follows this up with the opposite of being quarrelsome, but be gentle, right? Be gentle with your neighbor. Uh, Luther has a really great word that doesn't really have an equivalent in English. It's galende uh, when he translates the New Testament. Um, and that just means, it, you know, uh, almost as if you're, um, you're yielding, um, maybe not so much yielding on doctrine, but uh, um there's this idea that if you're constantly uh, argumentative, if you're constantly fighting, if you're constantly speaking ill of your neighbor, you know, that is a pretty wretched and miserable existence. Um, you know, it's this idea that I'm constantly dividing my, defining uh, what I believe, who I am and what I do um, in opposition to everything I hate. Right. Uh, 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 and, and that person's the bad guy. I'm always the good guy and I'm going to pick a fight. And, you know, it's almost as if this, the, you know, we create these attitudes with, uh, I, I don't really know what I believe. I just know that you're wrong. Right. Where, where we're mainly more called to be willing to maybe yield in a conflict or at least step away from a conflict, um, before it gets out of hand. Uh, before we fall into the sin of uh, being uh, wretched, blaspheming our neighbor, um, being overly quarrelsome. 
um, so that we can deal with uh, disagreements in an evangelical way. I appreciate the way that you tied that to the truth that is there in God's word, because I think that helps us hold in tension some of the things that we've seen Paul talk about in the book of Titus and the other pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy. There is the place for the pastor to contend for the faith, to fight the good fight. Paul uses that language, and yet to do so not in a quarrelsome way, but simply in a way in which the word of God holds forth and speaks mm-hmm. the truth such that any who would try to deny that truth would would simply be shown to be false and to be liars without demonizing the other person, or as we've said in other episodes, without just fighting for the sake of fighting or fighting for the sake of I've got to be right and you've got to be wrong, but rather let the word of God speak, let the truth shine forth. Ultimately, and we'll get to this later in the text, ultimately, so that the good news of salvation by grace through faith on account of Christ may go forth into the world unhindered so that more may come to the knowledge of that truth. So I I appreciate you bringing us back to that. We're going to go ahead and take our break here, Pastor Dandy. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, November 24th. We're studying Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. We've got Pastor Jacob Dandy with us. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terabella, California. Pastor Dandy, prior to the break, we were looking at these things, which Paul says to remind them to be at the beginning of chapter 3. And we left off with the very last thing. Paul concludes this list. He says, remind them to show perfect courtesy toward all people. How, how does Paul wrap the list up with that, tie these things together? Yeah. And so, like I said earlier, we, we start kind of at the top of uh, the social spectrum there with those rulers and authorities. And now he closes it out with all people, right? Show perfect courtesy to all people as we deal with this public life. And that word um, uh, that we, we see for courtesy could also be translated maybe as gentleness or humility or respect. Um, and so to be respectful to others, uh, there's this idea of deference to those who have been placed in authority over us and then just deference to the needs of our neighbors. Um which brings us back to that kind of general idea that uh, the Christian pattern of life uh, revolves around vocational love, that, that God has um, given us uh, vocations and callings as his people um, in order to demonstrate his love and care for the creation. And uh, so we, we have this this attitude that we're called to have towards all other people of um, uh, respect and, uh, and humility. Uh, re- uh, and maybe, uh, as Paul puts it, uh, uh, regard others as more significant than you. Um, uh, 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 look at their needs, care for them, care for uh, their opinions, care for their words, be respectful when you disagree with them. Uh, which kind of brings us to the the scope of this section, uh, these first two verses, uh, that helps us to see that this this kind of pattern of public behavior uh, really should shape how we as Christians interact in such a way that uh, our behaviors, our actions, um, don't get in the way of uh, our hope uh, 
of the gospel being presented to the world, right? Uh, and it's so very tempting. You know, we, we live in this world where we're, you know, all a bunch of blue check marks and uh, Facebook profiles, and it's easy to just kind of yell at the world um, uh, through our keyboards and yell at the screen and um, do all of these things. Um, but very often, I think that, that once again, uh, uh, drives home the points that maybe we don't want to drive home, that we, we don't want the way that we interact with the world um, to uh, um, subvert from the very word of God itself. Uh, so that our character failings, our character defects, um, uh, uh, don't be, uh, we don't want those to become the thing that the world sees when they see us, but rather we want the world to see uh, the mercy and the grace of Christ at work in us um, as the people of God. And so this calling of vocational love, this calling to the Christian uh, pattern of vocational life um is 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 in place to show maybe the stark distinction between those who are in Christ and and those who are of the world, and how those who are in Christ um, desire to um, present themselves and and honestly live in a manner that demonstrates love for neighbor and joy in the gospel. That distinction between the life that God gives in Christ and the way of the world is highlighted again here by Paul in the very next verse in Titus three, verse three, he says, this is what we ourselves once were. And he lists this long list, almost of the exact opposite of what he's just got done saying. What are some of these distinctions that we see with this pattern of the world in verse three, as Paul contrasts it with what he just laid out in verses one and two? Yeah, and so um, uh, you you see, uh, we ourselves were once foolish, right? That um, uh, we we were without wisdom, we were without uh, the wisdom of God's word and the promise of salvation. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, uh, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Right. And so you, you have the very antithesis, right, of 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 this Christian vocational love. But it's rather us being pulled uh, by our own desires, pulled by our own passions, drawn from this place to that by what gives me personal fulfillment, what gives me personal joy, what gives me personal pleasure, disregarding the needs of our neighbor. And what does that do that creates enmity? and envy, and malice, and hatred, uh, as, as people uh, are interacting uh, with each other, um, uh, we have covetousness, we have uh, this, this, this hatred of my neighbor for having what I do not have, we, we have this uh, anger that I'm being denied this good thing, and my neighbor uh, is, not, uh, uh, is not giving me what I want right now, and and so it, it creates this, this, this life of distortion uh, and dissonance, right? Um, uh, maybe one of the ways that we can think of it is that um, as we are called into uh, faith in the gospel, as we're called into uh, the life of Christ, um, we are called into harmony with the will of God, uh, but uh, as as the world does its thing, it is it's dissonant. It's like a a note that's played off key. Um, uh, as we have this Christian order of creation, this Christian order of life uh, lived out, but then you have this distortion of the order of creation. You have this distorted pattern of the world. Uh, and and what does Paul say? This is something that you and I have been pulled out of, right? Um, uh, Paul says this is who we once were. And what's really interesting about this is that Paul uses the first person plural here. Paul is saying we were once foolish, which means that Paul speaks personally about his previous life uh, as an unbeliever, as Saul the Pharisee was all of these things. 
he he was disobedient uh, uh, to uh, the governing authorities as a, a Pharisee and a zealot, uh, um, as as um, many of the Pharisees uh, and and those who chose the tradition of zeal amongst the Pharisees um, would have been uh, almost a uh, uh, Jewish nationalist, right? This idea that we got to get these Romans out, uh, curse them. Uh, we have this this malice towards neighbor as Paul was a persecutor of the Christian church um, as everything seems to raw, uh, revolve around uh, uh, Paul pursuing his passions, Paul pursuing these things. And what did it lead him to it? Uh, 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 Paul pursuing notoriety amongst the Pharisees and amongst uh, um, the the people of Israel. Um, But what happens here is that uh, hatred and dissonance uh, um, uh, comes into play here. Uh, And and perhaps these are all things that we can uh, relate to as well. Uh, These are things that we can observe in the world. and, And, you know, there are certainly things being both saint and sinner at the same time that maybe we can observe in ourselves and remind ourselves and remember, these are the things that we have been called out from. Which brings us back to verse one in chapter three. What is Paul telling Titus to do uh, with his congregation? Remind them, this is who you are. This is who you once were. Uh, You have been called out from this and into this. Um, We were once that ungodly world. We were once included in all of these sins um, uh, that the world around us still is included, but no longer. Uh, You have been called into Christ. You have put on Christ in his righteousness. Um, uh, And so uh, uh, we we see here um, uh, that... There is this great need for the grace of Jesus. There's this great need for the forgiveness of sins. Paul includes himself and in one who needs this great need and this forgiveness. Uh, and and uh, uh, there's also great joy in knowing that God uh, has, by uh, his work uh, of salvation in Christ, pulled us out from this. And, uh, well, we can comment on that a little bit more, too. Oh, for sure. I mean, and that's that's the beauty of this. You get this this awful list in verse three, and, and Paul really does open our eyes to just how bad it is to to be in the state of unbelief, to be mm-hmm. in the state of not being Christian. I, I think there's a temptation to look at non Christians and say, well, they're, you know, they're they're basically good people. They're not bad. And, and and Paul says, no, look, this is what what it's like to live apart from Christ. It's all these terrible things, foolish, disobedience, being led astray, and and so forth. And by the way, that's what you were once. That's what I was once. That's what we all were. Mm-hmm. And, and the beauty of it is that Paul doesn't contrast verse 3 with verses 1 and 2 and, and say, you need to try harder to be like verses 1 and 2 so that you'll stop being verse 3. Try harder. That's not what Paul says. He, he doesn't say you're going to save yourself. He says, "No." I mean, just the the gospel turn here in verse four is fantastic. You get these, you know, for as as much as Titus this letter deals with good works, there are these fantastic statements of gospel. We saw one at the mm-hmm. end of chapter two, and we've got another beautiful one here in verses four and seven, or four through seven, excuse me, which uh, a good chunk of it gets put into our catechism by Luther in, in the part about baptism, which I'm sure we'll touch on. But but start taking us into this, Pastor Danny. I mean, it's just, it's just beautiful. We get familiar language. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. I mean, we, I could keep going. It's, it's one long sentence. It's just beautiful. Start taking us into this beautiful gospel Paul gives us yeah and so uh and and this is probably one of the most um beautiful statements of you know um what have we been saved from well we have been saved from this wretched existence that is bound to sin right um um, Martin Luther very beautifully uh, talks about this in the, the hymn, uh, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, where he says, fast bound in Satan's chains I lay, right? We're, we're, we're kind of held captive by Satan. And here we have this beautiful image of uh, 
this is who you once were. This is what you are bound to. This is the wretched existence that you had. But then Jesus is revealed, right? Christ has appeared. The goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior has appeared, right? Um, and so this is, this is one of those things where, okay, this is bad. This is bad. This is evil. This is wicked. Goodness of God. Here it is right before you. And it's bound up in God, our Savior. It's bound up in Jesus. Uh, and so we're called out from this existence of evil by the goodness of Christ. Uh, when the goodness and loving kindness of Christ appears, uh, everything changes. Uh, and I, I would say that this, this particular sentence, uh, verse 4, is very uh, uh, personal and almost maybe autobiographical for Paul as well. As we, we talked about how um, his existence prior to his conversion, he says, yeah, we ourselves were once this, 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 this evil, wretched state that we were in. But then we see that Jesus appears to Paul, and from that moment, Paul is changed. And, and one of the things that maybe clues us in on that is at the end of verse 4, um, the, the word when it says, the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, the word for appeared is epiphino. It's, it's where we get uh, the word epiphany, right? Um, you know, that beautiful season that we celebrate after Christmas, epiphany, um, where the, the Christmas star shines forth and the Gentiles are called to worship our Lord and Savior. But what literally happens with Paul? Paul is in this wretched condition. He's fast bound in Satan's chains. And then Paul's on the road to Damascus to do harm to the church of Jesus, to persecute Christ. And, and what happens? Jesus literally shines forth to him on the road. Uh, Jesus literally epiphanies to him. Uh, he was one thing as he was going to Damascus, and now he is another thing. Uh, uh, and, and what happens? He's transformed by the gospel of Jesus. He is changed in who he is. Um, this pattern of life that was not the love of Christ then is called into the love of Christ, and the goodness of God is revealed and given to him. Uh, and, and the same thing happens with us, as Paul immediately goes from uh, uh, he epiphanoed, uh, uh the goodness of God appeared, it's also he saves us. He saves us not by our works, but by his, uh, um, uh, uh, by his own mercy, according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That means in our baptism, we were born uh, uh, in our sinful condition. We were born of those who are of the world and bound to the world's evil. We were uh, captives and possessions of the evil one, but now we are bound to Christ Jesus. We're washed in Christ Jesus, and he saves us according to his mercy uh, through this washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. In baptism, we have regeneration and renewal, which means that we are made into a new and different creature by the working of the Holy Spirit in the forgiveness of sins. And so we, we're, we're new. We're different. We're not that thing anymore. We have been given this forgiveness uh, uh, in Christ. And, and so first, one of the things, uh, and, and very aptly, Luther includes this in the catechism, uh, and he says this, this is what baptism is. Baptism is not merely a human work, but this is a work from God that brings us from the, the spiritual death of sin to the spiritual life of the justification that we have in Jesus. And this is our regeneration. We are created anew. Um, we are, uh, um, we have the, uh, the, the offertory, you know, that many congregations sing every Sunday, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
God does this. He has done it for you, and he continually does this for you as you live in your baptism, as you live in that daily contrition and repentance and the forgiveness of sins, that the old Adam is buried, as that old wretched sinner is put to death and daily cast away, and Christ works new life through the Spirit of God through the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and so uh, it's, it's kind of this beautiful and, and full image of um, this is what you once were, this is what you are now, and, and, and what evidence do you have of this? Well, you're baptized. You're baptized in the Christ. You've been justified. You have the forgiveness of sins, which means you're not an heir of the world's promises. You are not an heir of the world's attitudes uh, and, and approach to the world. No, you belong in Christ. I, I love this um, uh, 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 verse at the end of verse, or the saying at the end of verse 7. It says, uh, since you've been justified by grace, uh, we become heirs according to the hope of eternal life, which means our hope is not centered on this world. Our hope is not centered on the priorities and the causes and the callings of this world. Our hope is set in the kingdom of heaven. We are heirs of the kingdom of heaven, which means that we don't hope in what the whole world opens, and we don't participate in the patterns of, the, of life that the world participates in, because our hearts are set on a completely different thing. Uh, our Christian pattern in life is orientated around the trust that we have in Jesus and the justification we have received by faith in him. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a completely different existence. It's a completely different set of priorities. It's a completely different life because it's a life filled with the hope of the gospel. Mm, yeah, and it, it all comes by grace. I appreciate how you, you brought out that this is a, an autobiography autobiographical thing for Paul. And I really think, I mean, when you follow through the book of Titus, you you see how that works, particularly that word appeared, epi, epiphino, and how Paul makes use of that throughout this epistle. It, just previously in chapter two, he talked about the appearance of God, our Savior, in terms of what we would probably talk about as Christmas, the incarnation and the birth of Christ in Bethlehem. And then also the appearance of Christ on the last day, the second coming. And now here he uses that again to refer to baptism, to the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, which is, as you said, this is the the evidence. This is how God now takes what Christ has done and applies it to me, to Paul, to me, to you. This grace of God is given that saves me from that wretched state of existence so that, as you said, I no mm-hmm. longer inherit these patterns and promises of the world, but instead I inherit the promise and the pattern of my Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what a fantastic thing that is. So we've got about six minutes, Pastor Dandy, and, and Paul concludes our section for today by noting, hey, this is one of those trustworthy sayings. We've, we've seen those in the pastoral epistles. Mm-hmm. Here's another one. And, and again, he, he invites Tim, excuse me, Titus to, to insist on these things, to teach these things so that those who believe would devote themselves to good works. Take us into the way Paul concludes and, and wrap things up for us this morning. Yeah, Paul wants Titus to preach all of this. Um, you know, he wants Titus to preach the gospel, of course, right? Uh, and, and, you know, we want to hear the gospel when we go to church, right? We want to hear um, uh, the forgiveness of sins that we have in Christ Jesus. We come to church expecting to hear that. But um, Paul also wants Titus to exhort the church to live a faithful public life. He wants Titus to um, uh, point out um, uh, that you uh, were once and still often, according to your old Adam rearing its ugly head, uh, um, are, are in need of this gospel. Uh, and so uh, I think there is this, this, and, and really it's one of the things I observed in, in, in some of my own preaching as a pastor, but also maybe sometimes that we observe uh, in, in our preaching as a whole, uh, that maybe our, our sermons get to be a little 
formulaic, right? Where, uh, okay, this is sinful, this is bad, we're sinful, we're bad, forgiveness of sins in Jesus, but we, we miss something in there. And that is the exhortation of, okay, so how does the godly life look? How do these patterns of Christian living appear um, uh, and manifest themselves in the life of the Christian? And Paul says, you know, to Titus, you, you need to pre- need to exhort the Christian, um, uh, instruct the Christian. Um, you know, as you look back in um, uh, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God, breathed out by God, and it's useful for uh, uh, preaching, teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. That God's Word um, does also train the Christian. And so that's profitable and good. And so these things are excellent and good for the people. And so he, he has uh, this, this exhortation that he wants the people to hear, but ultimately always uh, he has the gospel um, uh, because the gospel is the root and the key to all of it. Um, you are not a Christian without the gospel. We are not going to make people Christians without proclaiming the forgiveness of sins in Christ. Uh, and this is what God has done for you. This is what makes you uh, and changes you, right, from being that lazy, miserable cretin um, uh, into a blessed child of God. It's not the thing that you do. Uh, it's not these things that we do to, in order to live this holy Christian life, but it is the work of the gospel put at work in you by the Holy Spirit through the means of grace. It is the gift of the gospel given to you um, that calls you out from the miserable existence of the worldly life. And I think that's the blessing that we, we focus on and remember here is that, uh, um, uh, uh, Paul is encouraging Timothy to a full-throated, full-bodied preaching of the Word of God uh, with law, gospel, exhortation, and all of it. Pastor Jacob Dandy is the pastor at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California, helping us this morning with Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Pastor Dandy, thanks for being our guest today. Who were you? apart from Christ. You were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing your days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. That's who I was apart from Christ. But God in his mercy has saved us. He has appeared. His son, Jesus Christ, has been born, lived, crucified, died, raised, ascended for you and for me. He has saved us. He has washed us in his water and word to bring us out of those ways of the world and into his way, into his promise and pattern. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.